Tonight on Huckabee, political insider Bill O'Reilly, Hollywood actress Diane Lang, and guitar legend Ted Nugent. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Gilbert. And now, here's Mike Huckabee. And welcome to another edition of Huckabee. Uh, we're doing it kind of differently, as you can imagine, because the coronavirus has separated us by many miles, but has not separated us from wanting to bring you a most exciting show, and that's exactly what we have for you. Well, I've been concerned enough about the coronavirus that I haven't left my home in almost six weeks. I've even taken some pretty extreme precautions to protect my family and myself. It wasn't irrational fear about getting sick, but it was respect for the guidelines so that we can get this over with. But there is something that scares me worse than a virus, and in fact, it scares me more than death itself. I mean, I've made arrangements both for my physical death and my eternal life once that should happen, and it will. But I'm genuinely afraid that we're losing our civil liberties and that our fundamental freedoms as they are ripped right from our lives. Shockingly, many Americans are actually cheering about it. To quote Jesus, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. In Kentucky, it took a smart and rule of law federal judge on Saturday afternoon before Easter Sunday to declare that the government couldn't forbid a Louisville church from offering a drive-in service to its members. The federal judge noted that there was a little bit of an irony in that people were free to visit a liquor store drive through but couldn't attend a drive-in church service, and he doubted that the consumption of alcohol was somehow considered more essential than attending church on Easter Sunday. In Greenville, Mississippi, the mayor sent cops to a church to forbid the people from even sitting in their own cars in the church parking lot for a drive-in service and proceeded to give them $500 tickets, and that's for every person sitting in his or her own car. The only violators of safe social distancing were the cops who went right up to car windows and barked orders and handed tickets to startle worshipers. Thank God Attorney General Bill Barr has decided to review clear violations of the First Amendment in cases like that in Greenville. In Michigan, the governor moved from nanny to tyrant by forbidding people to buy seeds to plant gardens, even though the seeds were on shelves in stores that were open. That resulted in hundreds of people driving around the state capitol, honking their horns in protest. The governor there stubbornly asserted that she was right. So get this, people planting their own gardens and eating produce they grow is somehow more unhealthy than going to a supermarket and handling the produce that may have been touched by dozens of strangers. In addition, a father was arrested and handcuffed for playing catch with his own daughter in a completely deserted public park. People have been threatened with arrest for setting foot in their own backyards. And the New Jersey governor, when asked about what gave him the right to suspend the Bill of Rights, said, uh, that's above my pay grade. We weren't thinking about the Bill of Rights when we did this. Obviously not. Well, we all need to be thinking about the Bill of Rights. Now, I don't want any of us to get sick or die from a virus that probably came not from bat soup, but from a Chinese biolab. 
But if we freely surrender our basic civil liberties now, don't think we'll ever get them all back, because we probably won't. Let me be blunt. I don't trust government. I was in government long enough to know that the only thing between freedom and tyranny is a vigilant citizen who remembers that government works for us. It's not the other way around. I fully understand the biblical mandate to obey civil authorities, but I also understand that when civil authorities demand of me to do something that is immoral or against the law or constitution, I have not merely a right but a responsibility to resist and to willingly suffer the consequences. Thank God for Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., for Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and for that matter, the entirety of our founding fathers who revolted against racism, Nazism, and tyranny, but willingly suffered for doing so because they valued liberty and the law more than life itself. Hey, it's fine to be afraid of the virus, and it's wise to take precautions, but be afraid of a government that can take your life, your liberty, and these days, even your freedom to worship your Lord. My next guest is a Republican senator from South Carolina. He says his mom taught him the values of conservatism. He's now the only African-American in the U.S. Senate. And his brand new book tells his story of adversity and opportunity. Senator Tim Scott, we welcome you to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Governor. Thank you for having me back on the show. I'm certainly a fan of yours as I was one of your early supporters when you were running for president. God bless your work for this nation and certainly the state of Arkansas. God bless you. Well, thank you. You know, if everybody had been as smart as you were back then, I might be president right now, but that's a whole nother story for another time. I want to talk about your book, Opportunity Knocks, because in this book, you outlined that your life was not uh, really paved with gold along the way. Tell us about the early life of now Senator Tim Scott. Thank you. I had the good fortune of being raised by a powerful praying mother, unfortunately, in a single-parent household, mired in poverty, and I was a disillusioned youngster. My mother said I was always optimistic, but I was a bit distracted from the core principles of success, education, and faith. As a matter of fact, as a freshman in high school, uh, I flunked out. I failed world geography and civics, civics being the study of politics. And I will say that after seven years in the United States Senate, I'm confident that I'm not the only one that failed civics in the U.S. Senate. <laughs> but uh, after, <laughs> so uh, I got back on the right track with a powerful conservative mother and then uh, shortly thereafter met John Monise, a Chick-fil-A operator who started teaching me conservative values from a business perspective. And that coupled with my mother's faith really led me to, A, accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior on a small football scholarship at Presbyterian College, and B, mm. uh, engaging in the business world where I understood that individual responsibility leads to highs and opportunities that I could not have dreamt about as a youngster. What a powerful story of two Amazing adults who invested in you. One, maybe because she had to. She was your mother. But another one who was a restaurant operator, he didn't really have to care about you or invest his time and uh, his energy in you, but he did, and it made all the difference in the world. 
What did he tell you? Give me some of the lessons that he shared with you as a teenager that changed your life. One of the more important lessons he taught me was that you can think your way out of the hardest circumstances you find yourself in. And he said that thinking starts with a critical analysis of who you are. And one of those important lessons I learned along the way was that if I were to take responsibility for my life, don't blame your mother, he said, because she's working 16 mm -hmm. hours a day, nor your father because he's not around. He said, take responsibility for where you are. Those who are responsible for their problems, they also are responsible for the promise that comes out of the problems. He said, if you see obstacles in the mirror, one day you'll see opportunities in that same mirror. And he taught me James 2, 17, mm -hmm. that faith without works is dead. It's not enough to say what you believe. You have to have the corresponding activities that lead in the direction of your convictions. I hear such power in that message. I also think, uh, Senator, that uh, you know your life could have been very different had it not been from your mom. And a lot of people would look at your biography and say, single mom, growing up in poverty, uh, this kid is a victim. You, you don't sound like a victim to me. The good news is you can be a victim or you can be a victor. You cannot be both. And one of the challenges that my mother presented to me was if she was willing to work 16 hours a day as a nurse's aide, basically a maid changing bedpans and rolling mm -hmm. patients over, come home from 16 to six, eight-hour shifts and invest time in her, her sons, that I would at least have the willingness and the role model to move forward and have an expectation that the best is yet to come. And I will say without any question that that positive role model, that there's dignity in all work, that hard work pays off. Even if you can't see your dreams, hold on to the vision that you have in your heart, and one day you'll see them manifest in the outside world. It really comes back down to Proverbs 29:18 is the lesson she was teaching me, that without a vision, people perish. Let's apply that lesson from your book, Opportunity Knocks, to the current situation we're in with the pandemic. So many people are out of work. Uh, I, mean, I mean, it has devastated our economy. What are some messages of hope that you can apply from your own experience and, and from the book that you've written that'll help people understand that this isn't the last chapter of their lives? I'll say that as a senior in high school, I fell asleep driving my car, went through the windshield, during rush hour traffic on the interstate. I was eastbound, flipped through lanes until I was heading westbound, broke my ankle, I thought life was over. And the truth is, it was that moment, that devastating moment, when in fact the next year I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. What I've learned in the middle of crisis, even this pandemic, is there's always a silver lining. There's always opportunity knocking. The question is, will we open the door? And when you open the door, what will happen is in this country, we'll have a V-shaped recovery. Said differently, the bounce back or the great American comeback story will be written for ages because we will not only survive, but thrive as it relates to the outcome of this virus. If we take advantage of it, our nation will be better because of the coronavirus, and we will certainly defeat, defeat this invisible enemy. Final question, Senator, there seems to be increasing evidence that this uh, virus originated not from the wet markets, but perhaps from a bio lab near Wuhan, China. 
Do you think the United States will have the, the courage to stand up and say, China, we are going to hold you accountable and responsible for what you have unleashed on the world? 100%, watching President Trump tackle this issue, watching the evidence mount that this started in a lab and not in a wet market is being signaled from our Justice Department to our Commerce Department, uh, our intelligence uh, community, all on the same game, working towards the same results. I think we are gonna have a very different relationship with China as we come out of COVID-19 than we had going into it, and it will be for the better. The world needs to know the nefarious behavior of the Chinese as it relates to this lab, perhaps, as well as the overall impact that this devastating virus has had economically, but more importantly, the loss of lives globally. Senator Tim Scott, it's always a pleasure to have you. We look forward to uh, you being with us again. Senator Tim Scott's book is called Opportunity Knocks, How Hard Work, Community, and Business Can Improve Lives and End Poverty. It's available on Amazon right now. And you can also keep up with the Senator on Twitter at Senator Tim Scott. Right now, here's Keith Bilbrey from far, far away to tell you what else we've got on this incredible show tonight. Well, it would be my pleasure, Governor. Tonight, political insider Bill O'Reilly, Hollywood actress Diane Ladd, and rock and roll legend Ted Nugent joins us on Huckabee. Next week, journalist Paula Ferris is called out and comedian Ron Hortman performs on Huckabee. My guest tonight is a legendary news analyst, number one on Fox News and all of cable news for many years. He's also the host of the No Spin News, where he cuts through pandemic politics and mainstream media noise and deception as only he can. Bill O'Reilly, glad to have you back on the show. Welcome back. Thank you, Governor. I appreciate it. I want to start with the uh, issue the media seems to almost have it that the entire pandemic is President Trump's fault. They seem to think it's more his fault than it is uh, China's fault. Uh, what do you make of that? Well, it's pretty obvious that uh, some Americans believe four more years of Donald Trump would be worse than whatever the pandemic brings. You have to start there. And, and a, some of those people run media operations. So they, they feel, look, we know the pandemic's bad, but Trump is worse. So we have an opportunity now to hang the virus on him, to blame him, so that he'll lose the election in November. So that's the overall strategy. And what you're seeing is a tremendous amount of deceit, um, outright lies. But because the six major corporations that control 90% of the national news flow don't like Donald Trump, they get away with this stuff. And, you know, in our discussion, we can go very specific about what Trump did and did not do. I put the timeline on BillOReilly.com. He has made mistakes, but any human being, I think, would make mistakes. In Davos, Switzerland, when he first commented on uh, the lethal nature of the virus, he was overly optimistic because he understood that a contagion like this would destroy the world economy. 
and it has. He knew that. So he was like rooting for the home team. We'll get it. We'll control it. It's not that bad. Don't panic. Don't sell your stocks. That's what he was doing. All right. Now, it's understandable. It's called wishful thinking. All human beings do it. But as soon as the CIA told Donald Trump, listen, the Chinese are lying. This thing is going to break out of Wuhan and it's going all over the world. It's already devastating northern Italy. Soon as that happened, the president stopped flights from China. And who is the big opposer to that? Joe Biden. Bill, uh, the president this week also said he's going to cut funding for the World Health Organization that has essentially been in bed with China. A lot of criticism about that. What's your view? Is that a good idea? Governor, on February 4th of this year, February 4th, all right, before the pandemic exploded across the world, here's what the World Health Organization said, quote, I'll read it to you. We reiterate our call to all countries not to impose restrictions inconsistent with the international health regulations. Such restrictions can have the effect of increasing fear and stigma with little public health benefit. That was a condemnation of President Trump's ban on travel from China. It doesn't get any more clear. The World Health Organization is either corrupt or incompetent. So why is the American taxpayer sending $500 million a year to this organization? Civil liberties are also uh, very much discussed in, in quarters because we've got governors who say that you can't even uh, buy seed off the shelf of a store that's open to plant uh, your own garden. How far does this need to go before there is a revolt and people say, wait a minute, I get self-isolating, but you're trampling over my basic civil liberties. Are we in danger of something bigger than just a virus? Already happened in Michigan this week. And uh, Governor Whitmer, who was a front runner for the VP nomination with Joe Biden, eliminated herself by being insane. So I'm a simple man, Governor, you're much smarter than I am. <laughs> but if I'm living in Michigan and the governor says, hey, O'Reilly, I know you've got a second home up in the Upper Peninsula, but I'm not letting you drive to that home your own property in your own car, I say, why? I can't spread the virus inside my car. It's my property. I'd like to go up there and check on it and perhaps stay there because it's safe. Why are you stopping me, Governor? And Whitmer has no answer. Once you have no answer, that's when the folks take action. Now, I don't expect a lot of governors to be as nutty as Whitmer. But if they are, the folks will revolt. I think we're beginning to see it. Bill, it is always a pleasure to visit with you. I look forward to doing it again. Uh, let me say our thanks to Bill O'Reilly, who is host of No Spin News at BillOReilly.com. You can watch it free for 30 days, and you should. And you can also order Bill's books there, including the latest, The United States of Trump, that we've been talking about. You can pre-order an upcoming book that he has called Killing Crazy Horse. 
Also, keep up with Bill O'Reilly on social media at Bill O'Reilly. Right now, Keith Bilbrey is going to keep this show alive. He's going to tell you what's coming up next. Take it away, Keith. Well, I cannot wait to read Bill's book about the life of Crazy Horse. Coming up, film star Diane Ladd. Any man who gives up his life for another man has fulfilled the last full measure. Then Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry. What Democrats do is basically blame Trump for everything. And later, rock music's Ted Nugent on Huckabee. Go to MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. Well, we may can quarantine the band, but we cannot keep their music suppressed. They are holding the line in more ways than one. And thank you, Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Thanks, Gov. Well, there is a great film out that reveals the true story of Vietnam War hero, Air Force Airman William Pitsenbarger. He saved 60 men before making the ultimate sacrifice himself. And the secrets behind the 32-year delay in awarding him the Congressional Medal of Honor is the theme of the movie. Here is a clip from The Last Full Measure. The Medal of Honor is the highest recognition of military valor there is. You'll prepare a full decorations review. Mr. Pitsenbarger, sir, I'm here to learn about your son. If you want the real story, you'll need to talk to the mud soldiers. I've never seen those men like that. Pitsenbarger comes down that wide, saves men he never even knew. Why are you here? Because you're here. We shouldn't even have been there. None of us should. The after-action report is missing. Who even thought up Operation Abilene in the first place? Information was removed from the original review. You had no idea where you're starting. I'm gonna go public with the story. Sounds a little dangerous. But it'll be great television. Getting that medal for pits might be the only decent thing I pull out of that wall. Dying isn't harder than losing a child. Do what you can. I need to finish this. as this young man ensures that the sacrifices of the fallen will never be forgotten. The Last Full Measure is a powerful and emotional film. It stars Christopher Plummer, William Hurt, Samuel L. Jackson, Ed Harris, as well as my next guest. She's an award-winning actress, writer, director, and author, a three-time Emmy and Oscar nominee, even the mother of an Oscar winner, Laura Dern. It is an extreme honor to welcome Diane Ladd. Ms. Ladd, thank you for joining us. What a delight to have you on our show. Thank you, Governor. It's my privilege and pleasure to be here with you today. And thank you for keeping all this entertainment going during this little crisis that we're all so bravely facing. Well, it is a challenge, and we thank you for joining us by Skype because it's about the only way that we can talk to people these days. But this film that, uh, that you are a part of, uh, I had a chance to see it, and it is one that, um, it's deeply emotional, it's gripping, well-written, but it reminds us of the yeah. power of uh, our Vietnam veterans and how we need to remember their sacrifices. A great story. How did you get interested in the script when you read it? Did it speak to you in some way? Yes, Todd Robinson, the great writer-director, called me and asked me if I would look at it. 
he called me directly and I read it and we met for lunch. And he told me all about Mrs. Fennenberger, the mother, the part I was to portray and how I'm the mother of the young dead hero. And it's an amazing story about greed and corruption. And I think we always need to be reminded of that in this world of ours so that we can keep evolving and keep fighting for a great planet for our children and our grandchildren and all the generations to come. We owe it to them all. And this film is remarkable. The bravery, the 30 years, three decades fight that won. The thing is, they all did win. It, it took a lot, but by golly, they won. You know, uh, Ms. Ladd, if this had been fiction, I would have loved the movie. I would have loved the story. It would have been a very powerful one. But the fact that this is a true story, the life of uh, this remarkable person, Bill Pitsenbarger, who didn't have to do what he did. He's an airman. He's supposed to be in a rescue helicopter. He's not even supposed to leave the helicopter. But he leaves the helicopter to go down to the ground, take care of wounded army uh, combat soldiers, ends up giving his own life. The last full measure is a quote from Lincoln, because he said that any man who gives up his life for another man has fulfilled the last full measure. And that's what this young man does. He has a choice. We all have choices constantly in life. And our choices determine our growth, our joy, everything. So once in a while, a great script like this comes along. And I'm privileged that my angels brought it to me, Huckabee. I was so happy <laughs> that I got a chance to be part of this great movie. Well, I'm delighted that I got a chance to watch it. In fact, I was so uh, overwhelmed with just seeing the screener that immediately I went and ordered it. Uh, it's going to come out on release in another week. And so I said, I want to get it as soon as it comes, because this is one I want in my uh, video library, because it is so powerful. It's worth watching over and again and reminding us of the extraordinary sacrifices of a group of veterans that didn't get the attention they deserved when they first came home after Vietnam, and they didn't get the respect they deserved. And now we're giving it to them, uh, and we should. And I, I'm grateful to you and the other actors of this film who uh, help portray this remarkable story about a man whose uh, Congressional Medal of Honor uh, is so richly deserved, but so long forgotten. I, I think it's, uh, to me, the great part of the story, Ms. Ladd, is that it took a lot of tenacity on the part of uh, his fellow veterans who wouldn't give up. And you mentioned the greed and the corruption of government officials. That's so sad that it took that long to overcome uh, really what was a government cover-up. And, and that ought to make us ashamed in the same way his story makes us proud. Right. 30 years is quite a long time, but it uh, three decades, but they won at the end. And when I see this movie, grown men, take your Kleenex, because grown men cry in this <laughs> film. And my husband cried. Yes, they do. And he said, if you see anybody not crying in this film, don't trust them. <laughs> it's, uh, it's quite rare when something knocks you for a loop. And this film seems to be knocking people for a loop. And, you know, if you operate on somebody, you, you want them to live. You, you want it to, hmm. to be as good as possible, whether you're baking a cake or doing an operation or doing a movie. And we can only do what we can each day, each one of us. But if each one of us every day smile 
and do what we can and spread a little light and love. Boy, this place can be a better, a better planet. <laughs> so again, I want to thank you for all that you do. Every day, whenever I see you, and I watch you quite often, you inspire people. You inspire people. And I thank you for being on this planet the same time as me. God bless you and every all your viewers. I truly cherish the great body of work that you've contributed to uh, to the arts and to all of us. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Well, we owe so much to our Vietnam veterans, and this film reminds us why. I truly hope you're going to see it. I saw a screener of it, as I said before, and I immediately purchased a copy to have permanently. And we're so grateful to have Diane Ladd joining us. Right now, Keith Bilbrey is going to tell folks how they can see this terrific movie in their own home. The last full measure is coming to DVD and Blu-ray this Tuesday, April 21st. But you can already watch it at home through Amazon and other streaming devices. And thanks to all our veterans for your service. Just ahead, Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry and outdoor hunter and indoor rocker Ted Nugent. Well, as Franklin Graham just mentioned, they're on the front lines of the coronavirus battle in New York City, as well as in Italy, providing field hospitals with medical staff to help save lives. I truly encourage you to call the number on your screen or visit the Samaritan's Purse website and give as generous a gift as you can. There is no better feeling or investment of a charitable gift than to give it to save lives and souls. My wife and I give to Samaritan's Purse, so I'm not asking you to do something that I don't do myself. Be sure to take part. Give so that others may live. Well, my next guest is involved in two of the biggest stories in the news today, the coronavirus battle in his own state, as well as a landmark Supreme Court case on the state's power to regulate abortion clinics. We welcome Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry. General, delighted to have you with us. I'm going to get right into the issue of the coronavirus because your state's one of the real hotspots around the country. Uh, what was it that you think made Louisiana uh, an epicenter of coronavirus. You know, New Orleans every year, the Mardi Gras season goes for two to three weeks and it attracts international visitors, people from all over the country and all over the world. And I just, and of course, when you get them all in that city, they pack them in real tight and you're watching parades and you're having a good time. And, and I think that that helped, it kind of created a, a, an extraordinary breeding ground for the virus. And so what we saw was, I think, a product of the Mardi Gras carnival season. You, you may be able to help me understand something. The mayor of New Orleans tried to blame President Trump for the coronavirus problem and for not shutting down Mardi Gras. Now, I was scratching my head and thinking, the president doesn't control Mardi Gras. The mayor of New Orleans does. Where, where in the world does that come from? Help me understand that. What Democrats do is basically blame Trump for everything. A couple of days ago, I told someone, you know, the president could cure cancer and kill a devil in one shot, and they'd find fault with that. Uh, you know, look, at the end of the day, we need to concentrate on saving lives and conquering this invisible enemy. 
not going out there and laying blame, which is what she was doing. I can tell you that this was, you know, the mayor is part of the same party that criticized the president for closing travel between Asia and the United States at the early stage. Remember, they called him a racist, said that, you know, there was no reason for him to do so. You, as attorney general, certainly uh, are on the front lines of, of, of balancing health concerns and civil liberties. I, I want to discuss how you view this and at what point have we sort of moved across this line of violating people's constitutional rights in the name of public safety? Are we there yet? Are we getting there? And how do we repair that once we've done it? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is go back to having everyone understand their civic responsibility. Uh, you know, a lot of times I've told uh, co on conference calls with either pastors or, or other groups that are concerned about that it, is that, look, just because you have a constitutional right to do something doesn't mean that you should do it or you should exercise it all of the time. We should all have restraint in these particular times and use common sense. It's one of the things that I've continued to try to preach out there to the masses is that, look, let's just use a little bit of common sense. I, I want to move on to another topic we mentioned in the introduction, and that's uh, the Supreme Court uh, hearing that you've recently had. Uh, I, I commend you for being consistent in protecting human life. And recently, Louisiana decided, as other states have, that abortion is not an essential service uh, and that, in fact, abortion clinics should operate under the same laws that any other health provider does. Please describe why this case has such tremendous implications, not just for Louisiana, but all over the country. Well, first of all, I believe that everything begins with life. You can have no liberty without life. And so what we want to ensure is that there is not a exception uh, to abortion. In other words, they don't get a special treatment. They don't get an additional right. Uh, we are going to treat them just like we treat all other health care providers in Louisiana. That was the case before the Supreme Court. And if I'm not mistaken, that was actually the last case that the Supreme Court heard orally this term before the COVID-19 crisis began. And all that case does is simply say, look, in Louisiana, we want to be able to regulate abortion clinics the same way we regulate all other clinics, in that doctors have to have admitting privileges, just like when you go and uh, take your child to uh, an outpatient clinic to maybe get tubes put in his ears, those doctors are required to have admitting privileges. It's the same thing uh, or should be the same thing that abortion clinics should be under as well. Thank you so much, Attorney General Jeff Landry. I know our viewers are praying for the safety of the people of Louisiana, both from the virus and the recent severe storms. Now, Keith, why don't you tell our viewers how they can learn more? Well, I would be glad to, Governor. For the latest updates on the coronavirus battle in Louisiana and the upcoming landmark Supreme Court abortion ruling on Louisiana Act 620, follow at Jeff Landry or visit agjefflandry.com. Next, the Motor City madman Ted Nugent talks music and the Second Amendment with Mike.
If you're ready to laugh at the news that's too funny, but true, watch In Case You Missed It on Huckabee.tv. And welcome back. My next guest is one of America's most outspoken conservationists. He's a best-selling author, an outspoken defender of the Second Amendment, and he's host of Spirit of the Wild on the Outdoor Channel. He's also a hunting buddy of mine, and I gotta tell you, he's got some of the finest trained retriever dogs I've ever seen work the duck woods. Now, you know him best as the Motor City Madman, the fastest guitar slinger in rock and roll. Ted Nugent, thanks for joining us and welcome. Well, happy springtime to you, Mike, and everybody watching, because I know if you're watching Mike Huckabee, you are great Americans, so God bless you all. <laughs> Ted, you have written some great stuff in the midst of this pandemic about how you were prepared, not just for a pandemic, you're prepared for life because you live a lifestyle that uh, depends upon the land and depends upon your skills and not upon the government. More Americans maybe ought to take your advice in light of this, huh? Well, we were raised when the battle cry of self-sufficiency and rugged individualism could be found in the Boy Scout mantra of be prepared. And I got to tell you, Governor, uh, like your family and mine, there are millions, tens of millions of American families who are hunters, fishermen, trappers, ranchers, farmers, that we were already cocked, locked, and ready to rock, Doc, whether it's a blizzard or a drought or a flood or a hurricane. So uh, rugged individualism is alive and well. And the great celebration here during this uh, tragic pandemic when people are really hurting is that those of us that are prepared all across this country, I hear from them every minute of the day on Facebook, we're the ones who are helping the people who were less than prepared. Ted, you are not somebody who is, uh, let's say, afraid to give strong and bold opinions. But I'm sure it has had uh, maybe implications where people said, I'm not gonna listen to your music, I'm not gonna come to your concerts anymore because you're too controversial. I, I don't think that bothers you. Have you noticed that? No, it rolls off my back like hygiene from Michael Moore. Um, I, you know, my I was raised with the most important love known to man. It's called discipline. My great dad, Warren Henry Nugent, and my beloved mother, Marion Dorothy Nugent, they raised us with an, a balance of an iron fist of get the job done to the absolute best of your ability, earn your own way, live within your means, and save for a rainy day. And especially as a bow hunter, you have to be so dedicated. You have to have a, a samurai situational awareness that is what guided me to turn down the, the suicide of drugs and alcohol and tobacco and all the nonsense of the hippie rock and roll goofballs. And so I know that what I do when I get a Governor Mike Huckabee to salute me when I stand up for self-evident truth, for uh, logic, common sense, God, family, country, I know that I'm on the right track. Nobody can deter me. So my critics, I laugh in their face and just play killer rock and roll. It's one of the reasons I, I tell you, I love you, Ted. You're one of the best. But, you know, I, I, I find it very interesting. Most people don't realize that even during the 60s, when most rock and roll stars uh, were so high they don't even remember the 60s, you never got into drugs. You've been an outspoken advocate telling people, stay away from drugs and substance. What made you different than every other person in the rock and roll world? Well, if anybody was going to be a, a rebel, 
with or without a cause, it would have been young Ted because I graduated from the American anti-education system. So I was a, a prime, mushy-brained teenager ready to buy into this lie, this suicidal lie of peer pressure. Well, I learned early on that as a, and again, I go back to my bow hunting discipline. If you are trained as a bow hunter and you discover that samurai mystical flight of the arrow, the origins of Zen and ultimate awareness, samurai, goes back to putting God's gifts to work for the bullseye or the heart, the pump station on that deer, that archery accuracy. And that control of your arrow is how you should dedicate yourself to the control and quality of your life. So when my fellow rock and rollers were laughing at me and making fun of me because I murder innocent animals. I guess they didn't know it was called barbecue. Um, and they would they would just attack me for not, you know, participating in their drooling, puking, stumbling death march of drugs and alcohol. I just I tried to help them, Mike. I was constantly trying to help them, but I knew that in order to play these great licks that Wilson Pickett and James Brown and the Motown Funk Brothers, and I know your killer band knows exactly what I'm talking about, you have to be in mm. ultimate, optimal, healthy condition to really communicate. When I jammed with Jimi Hendrix and I jammed with, with all these incredible musicians, Eddie Van Halen and Billy Gibbons, and I've been jamming with the greatest virtuosos that ever lived. I don't. I jammed with B.B. King. I played bass for Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley, Mike. That's why I'm like this. So I knew <laughs> that being stoned, I would miss out because all the guys that were stoned were missing out. I told Jimi Hendrix he was going to die. I told Bon Scott of ACDC, you can't do this, Bon. You're going to die. I told Keith Moon, yeah, you can't get drunk every night, man. No, I don't want your liquor. I don't want your booze. By the way, you're drooling. I mean, you, people ask me, how did I avoid the temptation to take drugs and alcohol? The same way I avoided the temptation to stab myself in the eyeball with an ice pick. It looked like a really stupid idea. Ted, there's nobody who is more articulate than you. It's one of the reasons I just love being around you. By the way, I want to say thanks. You and Trey Corley uh, put together a phenomenal song. I got to play bass with you. Our audience is going to be pretty impressed. You're playing from Texas. I'm playing from Florida. Trey and the band are playing in Nashville. We recorded it three separate times, and I just want you to know what a great American you are to try something like this and the beauty is that it worked. So I say yeah, I'm not, thank you, I'm Ted not Nugent. I'm like Lewis and Clark. I'll try anything, especially with you, Mike. You have so You're my soul brother, funk brother, blood brother. And I got to tell you, Trey and Kelly, you have a great Huckabee boogie band. And like I said before, you guys deserve me. <laughs> well, we're glad we have you. Thank you, Ted Nugent, very much. And Keith Bilbrey is going to tell the folks at home how they can keep up with Ted Nugent. And why on earth would you not want to? Keith, take it away. I can do. Be sure to watch Ted Nugent's Spirit of the Wild on the Outdoor Channel. And for his albums, future concerts, and everything Nuge, visit tednugent.com. Now, stay with us because you're about to see why readers of M Live voted Ted Nugent Detroit's greatest guitar player of all time.
For more of Mike's commentary and analysis on the news, go to Huckabee.tv and watch Facts of the Matter. Be sure to stick around after Ted rocks the house for a final thought from Mike. And now, with a special performance connecting Mike from Florida, Trey Corley in the Music City Connection here in Nashville, and Mr. Wango Tango himself from Waco, Texas, here's Ted Nugent. God bless America!
you. You deserve me. That's got to be the funniest thing I've ever heard. You deserve me. <laughs> That's about the funniest thing I've ever seen, and I've seen some funny stuff. Well, before we leave you tonight, a big thank you for faithfully watching our show. Our dedicated team of professionals have been very creative in making sure that we work past the limitations of technology and travel in order to bring you a fresh and timely show each and every week. Now, we miss being in our theater, and we really miss our studio audience. We genuinely miss being together because, believe it or not, we really like each other. I'm so very proud of our entire crew, who's actually having to work harder than ever to bring the show to you by gathering guests from their home by way of Skype or FaceTime. And if you only knew what Trey Corley and the audio engineers are doing to bring music to you, you'd jump up and punch the coronavirus right in the nose. Now with Ted Nugent in Texas, Trey and the band in Nashville and me in Florida, we just did a song from three states recorded at three separate times, and it worked. And in addition to watching our show, hey, don't miss out on our exclusive after the show features available only on Huckabee.tv. Features like Facts of the Matter, in case you missed it, as well as bonus interviews and music. We hope you have a great week, sheltered safely. But remember, pray for healthcare workers and the heroes who drive trucks, deliver things, and who work in supermarkets and grocery stores. So until next week, this is Mike Huckabee on behalf of the entire team of The Huckabee Show, thanking you for joining us and reminding you that a virus is temporary, but God is forever. Good night and God bless.